0: Hello, sir.
1: Hey, hey, Ali. How you doing?
0: I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing good. Just wanted to welcome you and everyone to the next episode of Dealer Chats, brought to you by Dealer XT. We're here with a very, very good friend of mine, Gus Camacho. Uh, Gus has been born and raised in the auto industry, just like myself, and um, he's coming to us from Palmdale, Lancaster, California. Gus, welcome to welcome to our program.
1: Glad to be part of your show here, and uh, uh, excited that you're doing this because I I think uh, the more information you get to dealers, the better.
0: We had a conversation a few days ago, and you were telling me a really, really, really nice story.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I had uh, I have two daughters that both graduated this year, and it was interesting because they had to do the uh, virtual graduations. But uh, my oldest daughter, Victoria, she graduated from uh, USC uh, School of Medicine. Um, as a, uh, her master's, uh, master's uh, physician assistant. So she's a physician assistant, so I think it's your master's in physician assistant. But um, we had to watch her graduation uh, via the, uh, uh, you know, including herself, you know, watch it via, the, via like a Zoom conference. And she had to stand uh, in the living room and do her oath in front of family and friends because, uh, you know, they, they couldn't go to USC and do it. So uh, for, for Victoria, she is going to have a traditional uh, graduation sometime in the future. But uh, now she can go take her test and, and uh, become a medical profession, professional, so that's great. And then my daughter, Karina, kind of felt really sorry for her because, of course, everybody loves their high school graduations, right? I mean, uh, everyone remembers those days and how important those are. She, got to, she missed prom, her birthday, and her high school graduation oh, um, because of the COVID-19. But she's a sweetheart, and she took it, uh, you know, uh, cheerfully. And uh, we had to do a virtual graduation for her where we actually drove to the, uh, to the campus and they set the, the parents up in these you know spaces that were so far apart, you couldn't see the kids or the parents. Um, so the whole time we were there, we only we were just the parents and the kid. And uh, you got up, uh, they, you know, they announced her name, kind of like the traditional part, but with nobody there other than just the teacher and the principal, and, uh, and then went home. It was the fastest graduation I've ever been to. I've got four kids and she's my fourth one to graduate from high school. And uh, we left the house and we we're back at the house within an hour. So the good news for the parents was that, hey, you didn't have to sit around and watch all the other kids go up there. Uh, but the bad news that was that she didn't get to see the traditional, you know, with all the kids yelling and screaming and the whole thing. But they, uh, you know, they did it virtually online, too, so you could watch it later and, or, or live if you want to see your friends going through it. And so it was interesting. But uh, I do have two. Uh, my, my youngest and my oldest both uh, graduated um, this year doing COVID-19. So we've had some interesting stuff happening in our house.
0: Your daughters are in a very unique situation, and for them they'll have a they'll have a unique story to tell you know, their kids in the future about how their yeah. graduation wasn't a typical graduation
1: which you know kind of ties in with businesses you know we've had to make a lot of changes and adaptions ourselves mm-hmm. um, because of the covid nineteen uh, the way we conduct business uh, uh, the actual physical dealership itself has changed um, you know employees have have made it have had to make changes so it's been, uh, it's been interesting uh, going through the last couple of weeks and trying to figure out how to make all these different changes and, and stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, we've been in business for 40 years and I've been um, running the company. It's a family business. I'm second generation. But I took over the the, the steering wheel back in uh, 1994 when I graduated wow. from college. And I've been uh, running the company and, and I've taken it over since then and grown it. So I, I, wasn't, thought to, I wasn't
0: trying to age you, that's yeah, no, why.
1: No, 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 no problem. <laughs> I've definitely gone through a lot of uh, a lot of recessions, a lot of tough times, a lot of changes, uh, ups and downs. Um, and, you know, this is just another um, and this is just another opportunity, I think, for everyone um, to to grow their company. But they, they, you know, when you're faced with challenges, um, that's when you have the most opportunities. And um, you got to look at it that way. And you also have to look at it. Hey, what what can I control? Focus on what you control and then focus on your attitude and forget about everything else. If you can't control it, don't worry about it, um, you know, know about it, but take a look at it and say, okay, what is it that I can control? And I'll tell you from day one, um, I got them all together and I said, listen, we're going to focus on what we can control and we're going to focus on our attitudes. And that's all we're going to focus on. Don't worry about what the media says. Don't worry about what's, you know, negative, anything, just focus on what we can control. And I'll tell you what we can control. We can control how many appointments we set. We can control how we treat our customers. And, and those are things that we can control we can control how many outgoing phone calls we make, and, and we can control our collision rates, we can control these things. So let's, let's work on what we can control and do really good at that. And then just have a super positive attitude and be happy. And I told him the other thing is I want you guys to remember that every day that we're able to sell cars is a good day. Because you don't know what tomorrow's gonna be. So focus on today, let's have a great day, let's do it, let's treat it like it's our last day, and then next day we do the same thing again. You
0: can only focus on things that you can control but then having a negative attitude about those things is yeah. not, mm-hmm. not going to complete that formula. So you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So X that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. the best advice I've heard in, in a very long time. So
1: uh, I knew I wanted to have you on this show. <laughs> <laughs> you need to, you need to meet with all your departments. I do it on a weekly basis. I meet with them separately. Um, I take an hour and a half of my time to meet with every single department. Every week we look, look over stats, we look over their numbers and we, where there are certain criteria that we track and we use that to track all our data. And there's probably 300 different data points that we track in the whole company. And, and each, each department has theirs that's specific to them. And I'll tell you that when going, you're going, through, you're going through, through challenges and opportunities and things are changing really fast, having that data and looking at it on a weekly basis is so important. If you wait to look at it at the end of the month, it's too late. You have to be able to make changes really quick. And meeting with each department, if they have an issue, we take care of it immediately. I'm the guy who makes the ultimate decision, so I can steer them in the right direction. And then we plan for the next week. So it's we're looking. Everything is on a weekly basis. Our goals are on a weekly basis. Our everything's on a weekly basis. So as you go through uh, challenges, you need to be able to manage quickly and make changes quickly. I mean, we, we went from having you know 20 to 30 customers a day walking in to having zero. Um, so that, 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 was, that was the biggest impact that we saw, uh, no more traffic. And then, you know, just the uncertainty between uh, even the staff and the, and the employees. Um, you know, how, am I going to be sick? Is it okay for me to be at the office? Can I, can I, can I talk to people? You know, what, what's my employer doing for me? So those are all things that at the beginning um, were the biggest challenges that we had. Um, but on, on, a, on a positive note, I've got an incredible business development center. Um, we've had it for many, many years. Um, they set tons of appointments, so the moment that I saw our traffic, uh, you know, that, hey, now you can't have traditional traffic, now you have to only do appointments, and that was the first kind of stage that we went through. On on that part, on that side of it, um, having a business development center really helped us out. I mean, we did have a drop in sales. Um, it wasn't as bad as I, I, I thought it was going to be, or I, I thought, you know, I looked at worst-case scenarios, but we definitely did have a, a decrease in in, in, in sales. But um, having that business development center, setting appointments, um, you know, they, they do such a great job that we, have, we, we created traffic. Traditionally, we always just market our area, just our area around our dealership. You know, we don't go very far. And I said, okay, what can we do differently? You know, if we're not having the walk-in traffic, what do we shoot for? So we said, okay, let's start expanding our reach. Let's try to get customers that are an hour, an hour and a half, two hours away from the dealership. Let's approach them through social media, and let's see if we can bring these customers in. And it worked so we were able to replace not all but we were able to replace a good part of that walk in traffic by having uh, folks drive in from far away and um you know we have a lot of great options at the dealership on financing so for a lot of these customers it made sense for them to make the drive uh, up to the animal valley and then in some areas in california you couldn't sell cars at all i mean you, you had to have a completely you can even do you couldn't even do home deliveries so we were able to bring some customers from those markets in to be able to sell them a vehicle because which is something that both of us argued at the beginning of this whole thing. Dealerships should have been essential from the beginning. No doubt about it. You have essential workers that need to go back and forth to work. And how can an essential worker go to work if their car breaks down? And now they can't afford to have it repaired. Uh, it's too expensive and it's more economical for them just to go buy another car. Um, a lot of situations where I think dealers should have been essential from the beginning, um, the way it worked out for us, the way it, it, it well, while it was tough, it worked out. You know, I realized uh, you know there's always the myth, and the myth is, hey, you know, every salesman should sell eight to ten vehicles. That should be the the thing. Well, you're, we 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 uh, as part of our our cost reductions during this time, we reduced the salesman's hours. But believe it or not, even though they were working less hours, they were selling the same amount of cars. That's they sell eight to ten cars because that's what you tell them. Um, but there's 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 more. The employees can do more um, than 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 uh, than what you thought. Um, and 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 the final thing that 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 I learned out of this situation is, um, working from home. So we were able to take we have a finance company, a related finance company. Uh, so we do buy her payer. And, um, I, I took 95% of my finance company and sent them home. We got computers for them. We got them all set up. And I did the same thing with our business development center, our BDC rep. So they're the ones that are making uh, outgoing calls, receiving all the marketing calls, setting appointments. We, both those departments went home. And you're not going to believe this, but their productivity actually went up. There might've been one or two that didn't, but for the most part, you know, again, 95% of them, their productivity went up and they actually did a better job at home than when they were at the dealership. Looking at stats, you know, how many outgoing calls are they making? How many income calls are they making? And we tracked all these numbers and we look at them on a, on, a, on a weekly basis with the management team and we take a look, okay, which employee is, is having difficulty in the change and what can we do to make it better? So we took all that and, and, you know, now that we're going back to, um, you know, it looks like we're going back to something a little bit more normal. Um, the big question is, do I bring them back or not? And I really don't know the answer because I, 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 I like what they're doing now, but I also don't, I also like them working as a team at the dealership. Um, but I'm definitely open to, to having employees work from home because it works. And I can see that being a, a big change across the country where you're going to see a lot more empty offices um, because uh, many businesses like ours realize that it's okay to work from home. They can get the job done. And there's a lot of positions in the dealership that can be done remotely, accounting and whatnot, all that kind of stuff. So um, so those are kind of the positive things that, that we learned from, from from the COVID-19.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about how your company um, has taken additional steps to improve their social
1: media presence? So we use a couple of vendors. Um, one of them is Takobi and another one is Focus. And uh, these two vendors specialize in, in in social media. We tend to use them more than than the things that we do on our own. You know, the type of marketing that we do is mostly credit um, because we do buy your pay here and we have our own uh, means of being able to finance the customers and uh, and we do a lot of subprime. Uh, you know, we send the message out to, to get the customer, hey, we can get you guys financed, come on in, give us an opportunity to work with you. Uh, we can show you what we've done. Uh, we've been in business for over 40 years, uh, we've sold, Oh gosh, probably almost sixty-two, three thousand cars. So we have the experience to, to, to get the customers done, and we can do it in in a in a, in, a, in an environment that's that's a win for everybody, and it's it's a it's a fun environment. And what kind of so that's kind of the message that we do to that we that we use on all the social media platforms to get to the customers. Um, we don't necessarily um, do do a, a, you know advertising for specific vehicles or specials like that. Ours are more focused towards the financing side.
0: Do you think that being a buy-here, pay-here dealership has helped or hurt you during the events of the past couple months?
1: So uh, typically a buy-here, pay-here dealer does well when the economy isn't doing as well. And and the reason for that is that um, there's less uh, competition. So a buy-here, pay-here dealer will compete against subprime lenders. And so when there's when some prime lenders are tightening up on their underwriting, maybe not not being as flexible, maybe changing their terms, making changes on their side, it, it gives a bigger a bigger pool of customers for the buy here pay here business. So, um, so what I'm seeing, not just with my buy here pay here portion of my business, but also with other uh, my buddies that have buy here pay here dealers, is that we're seeing a big increase in 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 uh, in, in sales on that portion of the business. And, and, and it's doing, and, and, and doing well, we're also seeing, um, that customers are paying good. Um, you know, that was one thing that um, we were very worried about, you know, would they, or would they not, would they not pay, uh, during the, during the crisis? And and we're not through it yet. We still have a lot of uncertainty over the next couple months, but so far, um, you know, with what the government has done, which I think this is where, this is their intention with the money that they provided, um, with the stimulus package, uh, customers did what they were supposed to do they went and they paid their bills so they you know brought themselves current we were very good at helping the customers and saying hey listen if you can't make your payment you know how much can you pay let's let's help you out when are you getting your stimulus money can you bring your account current when it happens you know we're not a big finance company that can afford to push payments out for you know 90 days but we could definitely help them out um, and and making sure that their good customers stay good you know when the customers come in with down payment you can make something happen if they don't come in with down payment, it makes it a lot more difficult, and uh, not not because the customer doesn't deserve to buy a car maybe with no down payment, but because um, you know you might not be able to finance that much money. Um, if they come in with some down payment, now you might be able to finance a little bit more. Customers have been coming in and using some of the stimulus money to buy vehicles. So there's been, um, uh, I think that the the government did a great job um, in in finding a way to make sure that we didn't their economy didn't get in a position that's it's worse than where, where it's at now. If I were to, if I were to tell you, has it helped? I think it has. Um, our buy here, pay here business in the last two months has increased. Um, subprime lenders have tightened up. I've seen it. Um, you know, a couple of the lenders um, they're having. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's 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 a it's a it's, it's a huge huge problem, but they are having some challenges on their capital. And when when um when when you have investors that invest in these finance companies. Um, you know the, the big guys, and um, and and they look at it and they say, oh no, what's happening with the future of the economy? What's going on? It becomes risky. So when it becomes risky, they raise their rates. So if if if, uh, if you know Exeter or one of these companies, uh, you know, go out and they're trying to raise some money, um, they're 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 going to have to pay a little bit more for their capital. And if they're paying more for their capital, then take they can't take as much risk. If they can't take up as much risk. Then you see them tightening up. So it's a chain reaction that occurs. So the 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 COVID nineteen has definitely um, had an effect on some of the finance companies um, with with what their future is going to be. You you brought up
0: uncertainty. We're not out of the we're not we're not out of this yet, right? I mean, you you're bringing that, and that's that's something that is on many people's minds. What are your thoughts of uh, what's what's to what are we to expect over the next three to six months?
1: That's the million-dollar question. No one really knows. Um, I think if you take some of the uh, big companies, um, Wells Fargo, um, even even the Cox Automotive Group, um, they don't have a very good outlook uh, of for the for the for the next couple of months. They're they're thinking maybe we'll go into recession. Unemployment will be very high. Um, there's going to be a lot of issues. Um, I tend to be more of an optimistic than a pessimistic. Um, I think that it's going to be a great market for buyer payer. Um, I think that uh, if you're selling, um, you know, maybe a lot of prime customers, if that's your market, if you're selling high-end vehicles, that maybe you'll have a little bit more of a challenge. You're going to have to work outside of your market, expand to get more customers to come to you. Um, The prime customers tend to um, be the first ones to um, stop spending money, and 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 that's kind of what you've seen. They're saving their money. They don't go out spending. Subprime customers, they don't. Um, they tend to just, you know, if they have it, they spend it. Um, so if you're work, if you're in the subprime market, you're going to be, you're, you're probably going to be okay. Also, subprime customers tend to be, um, for the most part, they tend to, to have the, the more of the middle, middle type of, uh, uh, employment, um, where if, you know, maybe they are uh, bartending or maybe they are in the hospitality, they can easily switch to a different career and it's quick as opposed to an engineer. That now has to go find an engineer job or, or you know, a higher paid profession, which tend to typically be more of your prime customers. I think for if you're a subprime buyer payer, uh, even if the economy gets a little bit tougher, I think you're going to be okay. Um, I think you're, you'll be fine. There might even be opportunity for growth. Um, if you're strictly prime um, based, uh, you might want to start looking to see if you can open yourself to doing maybe some more some subprime business or expanding your territory and trying to bring customers from out of the area. Um, that's my two cents. <laughs> I'm not an sure. economist, but this is what I see from the front lines. Are they being more strict
0: when it comes to lending to to people, especially people who are unemployed at the time?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's very difficult to get anyone financed that's, that's been furloughed or not working. They're not working. They're not going to finance them. It's very difficult. Um, on our side, on our buy here pay here the stuff that we're financing into our related finance company, we're a little bit more leaning on that. So depending on what kind of a job um, they've been laid off from, um, we, we, we deal with the, those just one by one. So, um, you know, if, if, if they're in a, they've been working for a little restaurant, we know which one it's in town. We know that the owners have had it for a lot of years. It's a super popular place and it's definitely gonna be reopening, then it's a done deal. But if they're working for maybe a restaurant that's only been open a couple months, they are only there for a couple months. Now they're closed. They're probably not going to reopen. We better hold off on, 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 getting that deal done. Um, but your traditional lenders are, are, are pretty strict on that either. They, if they're not working, they're not getting funded. Um, and that, that brings up a, a big concern. Um, you know, there's this AB 2501, uh, assembly bill 2501 that's moving through the, um, assembly right now. Um, hopefully it won't get any farther, but, um, right now it's, it's moving forward still. And this assembly bill is, is is going is the purpose of it is to allow a consumer um to not get repossessed uh for 180 days um after um you know we're back to normal kind of deal so once the once uh the the governor lifts everything and business is back to normal then they're gonna there's gonna be automatic 180 days that you can't pick up a vehicle so it's it's definitely not good for the business environment and it's also definitely not good for the consumer and I'm gonna tell you why at first you might think oh yeah it's good for them but it's not um, lenders and I mentioned this earlier lenders go out and they have to raise capital and when they raise capital they have to pay rates well when 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 the when the market sees that there's there's uncertainty and I mean you already have the uncertainty of, of maybe unemployment and, and maybe a recession you add in that now they can't they can't pick up their vehicle when someone doesn't pay for 180 days and the certainly of when it even starts now the now now the, the, the cost of money for these lenders is going to skyrocket. So what's, what is that going to do? That's going to that's going to affect everything from um, finance companies being stricter on their underwriting, um, not being not going as not not helping the the customers that probably need it the most, the risky customers, increasing the rates to make up for the for the risk, and possibly not even not even doing deals in California. I mean, it could come to a point where they're like, there's too much uncertainty in California. We're just not going to do any business in California until it's all better. So, there is a lot of negative things that could happen because of this that I think the legislators haven't really thought it through. They think, oh, you know, it's just easy to say, hey, you know, why don't we help the customers out for 180 days? But they don't realize there's a lot more. What does that mean if you're a subprime dealer? Um, well, what if you sell a customer a car, you find out that his POI, his proof of income, is short from whatever you put on the application? Lender's not going to approve it now. You got to ask the customer bring the car back. Can you ask them to do that? I don't know. It's too a gray area. And 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 now what if they say no? I'm not I, I'm not going to bring it back. You have every right to pick up the vehicle, right? You send your 10-day notice. You've done everything right legally, but you can't repossess cars. So now you know spot deliveries are going to have to go to almost zero. It's going to just be too risky. Not just for you as a dealer, but for the lenders as well too. So they just it's it's just too much uncertainty in that. Um, I know that uh, our our uh, Independent Auto Dealer Association of California sent out a um, uh, a blast with instructions on how you can reach your representative and, um, you know, highly recommend everyone to please reach the representative and tell them how bad this bill is and to please not vote for it and not let it get any farther than it's already, uh, where it's already been at because there's just too many uncertainties. Those uh,
0: safety protocols that um, you know, besides the the standard, you know, hand sanitizer and, and things like that. If there's anything else that, that you
1: think was was uh, more of a creative, innovative way of of doing things, um, you know, we're doing masks. Uh, we give masks to our customers uh, when they show up if they're not wearing them. We just we just give it to them, and we just tell them it's part of the process. And um, you know, customers have reacted very well. At least in our area, Palmdale and the Lancaster area, and even the folks that are driving up from outside of our markets. Um, they, they show up wearing masks. Our cities have required them, and they have required them for several weeks now. So when you go anywhere, you go and tell people wearing them. If you're not wearing them, it's actually kind of weird. Um, but probably one of the unique things that we did is we picked up this machine. Um, it's made by Mighty, and um, it, it's, um, it's a steamer. But you add germicidal uh, um, component to it, a, a liquid, and it'll kill 99% of all viruses, bacterias, and whatnot. So at first, we started using that on our vehicles. So every car that went through recon, We were completely sanitizing. we were spraying this thing down, killing every single germ. Made our employees feel a lot better because when they're you know grabbing the cars, they're fully sanitized, and uh, you know everyone was doing their part to to make their cars as safe as possible. And then um, after uh, after the customer test drives it, then the salesman will go in there and they'll wipe it down with just some regular disinfectant. But the the full sanitation was something that's pretty unique. Um, We went through and and offered it to our uh, local uh, uh, law enforcement, and we we uh, we were sanitizing. uh, all their uh, uh, emergency vehicles, so we we're going down there and sanitizing all the police station guys, and you know it's it, it ended up being a pretty good deal. Um, I, I I sit on the boosters for our local area for the sheriff's, so I ended up uh, talking to them about just buying the equipment and doing it themselves, so they have, because um, I really wasn't a very big money maker for me. It was more of a goodwill thing that I wanted to do, um, but then we took these machines and said, well, if you can sanitize a car, why don't we sanitize offices? So three times a week we bring the machine in and we steam the whole office. The showroom, the whole thing, killing 99% of all bacteria and viruses. You're
0: making me want to come buy a car from you right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, come on, I'll sanitize. Hey, free sanitation if you want to bring your vehicle in. <laughs> yeah, we, we also uh, removed, and this is kind of sounds silly, but we just removed chairs. Um, now we have chairs, uh, we have six foot tables with chairs for the customers, but we only put two chairs for customers, one for, 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 uh, for the salesman, or for the salesperson, and six feet distance. But then in the actual sales offices, I didn't want any customers in there, so I took all their chairs out. I just left one that the salesperson could sit down and, and do all his follow-up in. So that kind of um, helped from customers walking into their office um, and, and using the, what's set up for, for, the, for, the, for that area.
0: You go to different grocery stores and you have different experiences now. You, know, you go to a Safeway compared to a Walmart, compared to a Trader Joe's, or whatever stores you're going to to buy your groceries, I've had different experiences at each of those types of grocery stores. And I'm noticing that I'm now going to the ones that I feel more comfortable because visually, I can see them cleaning the, the basket before I walk in. They're help- giving me hand sanitizer. They're all wearing masks. They're not letting people come. I, mean, I was, I was uh, walking to a store a couple weeks ago and there was a gentleman in, in front of me making a really big deal about not wearing a mask before he could you know, enter the, the store and, and they didn't let him. They did not let him into the store. And in all honesty, I felt a lot more comfortable after that. Let's say in six months, there's a vaccine that comes out for coronavirus. Do you see yourself doing the same level of safety protocols maybe a year from now or
1: 18 months from now or two years from now? It takes 90 days to create a habit. And we're gonna be in this for 90 days doing these things. So they, some of these things will become a part of just normal life. Um, I can see consumers wanting to go to dealerships that, that they know are safe. Um, I had one of my buddies uh, send me some stats and I, I'm I'm trying to recall the exact percentage and it was some survey that was conducted by a marketing firm, but it was something like 90% of the customers that are before they go to, uh, to go buy a product. Um, if they're going to a store or if we're going to a dealership, they're going online to see what safety measures you have. Are you sanitizing your facility? Is it going to be safe for me to be at your facility? And 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 they're not going to the ones that aren't doing anything. So um, it's something, and I think that's something that'll that'll continue on. They're still gonna to want to be able to go to a place that's clean and 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 safe. And um, you know, dealerships, uh, you know, for the most part, we've always been very clean, but. Um, I've been to some dealerships, and I'm sure you have too. Where you know the dust has been there for sitting on that desk for a long time. You know they've never even wiped it down. And I think it's just uh, we're going to have a much, uh, a much cleaner uh, country and a much cleaner environment, which I think is good. You know, people, you know, there'll be less people getting colds and stuff like that if, if they all, if everybody were to practice a little bit more um, sanitizing and, and keeping things clean. We're going to continue sanitizing our vehicles even after this. The cost to do it is very small. Um, but I think it's a great, uh, it's great for our employees and I think it's great for the customers and it's a, it's something really good to promote as well too. So those kind of things we'll continue doing. Buying cars. So buying cars has been really interesting. Oh, it's been an interesting market. Um, we went from cars being dirt cheap and, but none around, but you know, we, we were buying cars and and, you know, when their businesses are closed, you know, it's, Law of demand. You know, when there's no demand, prices go down. When there's a lot of demand, prices go up. So uh, as, as, as some dealers were forced to have to completely shut down, there was less car sales. And obviously, you know, with the uh, stay at home orders, all of a sudden the cars that were going through the auctions were very, very cheap. They were going for, you know, below market value. You can get some good deals. The problem was that um, there weren't a lot of cars going through there and Yet, uh, here's the funny situation yet. There's a lot of cars sitting at the auction. Um, so a lot of lenders, a lot of, uh, you know, the big guys Ford motor credit, um, you know, the, the big guys, um, even the auction themselves, you know, they're just holding the vehicles and not releasing them, letting them just sit there, waiting, letting for this to ride out, which maybe it's a smart move on their part, but it made it, it didn't make it difficult to find cars. But when you did find a car, you can get a great deal on it. Um, but in the last, uh, 10, uh, 10 week, 10 days, 14 days. The, the, they have not released a lot of cars, even though they have a lot sitting there. And now that dealerships are back in business for the most part, most of them are selling back to selling cars. The pricing of vehicles have gone has gone up tremendously. Um, we just, you know, even today I was looking at what we bought at the auction today. And, you know, we were paying uh, close to book or over book for a lot of vehicles that a week ago, were, you know, we could buy those cars for two, two weeks ago. We could buy those cars for $1,000 less, sometimes even $2,000 less than what we're paying today. So there's been a, just a big swing. It, the, it's gone both both directions.
0: Do you think that? Do you think that there's a there's any specific reason why uh, this is happening?
1: So the market's really fluctuated, and and you know one of the main reasons I think that we've seen the big fluctuation has been just because of supply and demand. Um, you know, you get the COVID nineteen, uh, a lot of dealers shut down. There's not all the demand for cars, so cars are going to go are going to be a lot cheaper. Now their dealers are starting to buy again. Um, a lot of them sold through, went through the vehicles that they had in their inventory and they were scared to buy vehicles during, during the crisis because they didn't know what the future was. So their inventories were at a very low level. So now they're going back to the auction and it's creating an increase in, in the cost. I also think, though, that um, you know, the, some of the large manufacturers and even the, the, the large auction companies um, have a hand in it. Um, if you, you, know, you drive down to go to the auction, you'll see so many vehicles parked there that there's nowhere to park. Them. I mean, they are completely full. Um, you know, a lot of rental companies have taken their vehicles down there. I mean, they're packed. So you got to wonder why aren't they releasing all those cars and letting them go through? Well, they're probably being smart and trying to control the, the, the pricing of the vehicles in, in a way. And, um, so I, I think, so, you know, here we have things that are affecting the pricing of vehicles. Um, a big chunk of it is just what's going on with the economy and the COVID-19. Um, but I think another part of it is that, um, you know, um, The larger finance companies and, um, larger auctions because they're so big, they, they can actually influence the market, um, by just deciding to slow down the sales. And, uh, you know, it's something just to think about. And I'll give you a good example. Like today we, 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 we bought some vehicles that we had to pay very, very close to the, the, the book, uh, the, the, auction value book the kelly blue book you know in this case it was Kelly Blue, but the auction value book so we had to pay we had to pay a book value for these cars and um then you you know you got your fees you got your transportation um to bring them to the dealership you might be another 500 to a thousand dollars in expenses just to get the car to the dealership but then you look at the spread between wholesale value and retail value and sometimes the spreads only a thousand bucks so now you're in the vehicle retail value and consumers are coming in and saying, "Hey, what's the retail value of this car?" Well, heck, I'm—you know—I haven't even safety the vehicle and inspected it, where I might spend another thousand dollars and fifteen hundred dollars. And now I'm in this vehicle, thousand to fifteen hundred dollars over a retail buck. And customers are coming in, and you're—you know—where do you make your money? So, I, you know, if there's anything that I've always just not understood is, you know, why some of these uh, entities that are out there that provide consumers with retail value why they don't leave a spread for some, for profitability for the dealers. Um, And and they have to, and I I don't have no idea where they come up with it, but sometimes you'll see big spreads on retail value. And sometimes you'll see no, and then the market changes so fast, but then the retail value doesn't change as quickly. So it's, it it makes it very difficult for, for a dealership uh, to make money. And that wasn't the case, you know, 15, I've been this long enough that I can say it's 15, 20 years ago. That wasn't the case. Um, You know, you, you had a bigger spread. You can actually make some money. Uh, now it's just become very, very difficult. And sometimes you'll, you'll see that maybe there's someone selling a vehicle out there for less than what you're paying for at the auction. And you got to wonder like, what's wrong with that vehicle? How can they buy the vehicle, inspect the vehicle, have it transported, do, the, do, what a, do everything that what a traditional dealer does and offer it to the consumer for less than what a dealer could if they went to go buy it at the auction. And, and that just makes it tough. It makes it, makes it tough. And I know all independents the guys that go through and they do the right process, they go through and they inspect the vehicle, and they spend real money on the car, making sure that it's safe for the consumer, um, and they, they they do all the compliance like we do, uh, use your tablet, but, you know, making sure that we acknowledge anything that the vehicle has. We go through the whole process. That all costs money. It's not, it's not free. Mm-hmm. So here we do all these things, and then there's just not enough markup there to really make money. But then you might have other uh, players that, uh, other dealers that are out there and they're not doing any of the compliance um I don't know what, where they're buying their cars and all of a sudden they're offering it to the consumers for cheaper than you can buy it at the auction and it seems really unfair and uh and it's just something that you just happening and I really don't know what 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 can be done so it's a tough it's a I think it's a tough problem to solve you know prior to the tablet uh we had uh, very strict compliance at the dealership in the sense of hey these are our policies and procedures you got to follow them but it's always very difficult to uh, make sure that it's being implemented hundred percent of the time. Um, you know, you, you have to audit every single deal to do that. And um, you know, we're not a small dealer that sells five or 10 cars. You know, we, we sell around 200 vehicles a month. So uh, for us to go through and audit every single deal would be very, very difficult to do. Um, but, but you still have your policy and procedure. So how do you take it to the next step where you can, you know, be more assured that there's hundred percent transparency and the tablet has done that because it's a requirement. The, the dealer XT wasn't done. The, there's no commissions paid. It's that simple. And because we've enforced it to that that point, it's used every single time. You know, I, I think in, in our world, you get a lot of uh, new employees and the new employees are scared. They're thinking that if you're not transparent with the consumer, that maybe the sale won't happen. And that's not true. Customers come in and, hey, you know what? If that car's, you know, uh, had their fender replaced or, you know, it's been repainted or it's had two accidents. Tell the customer if they like it and they want to buy it like that. Great. If not, show them something else. It's that simple. And that's kind of the philosophy that I've implemented Is saying, hey, you know what? It's 100% transparency with the customers. They they're, show them exactly what they're buying. Let them know if they want to buy something different, they can buy something different. And what dealer XT does is it allows us to implement that and make sure that we're consistent every, at, at, at every single sale. And and being as close to 100 percent as possible. You know, I, a couple other things. I think that uh, um, that you guys have done a great job with, um, especially specifically, Ali is is um, really reaching out to dealers. I know during the, the this whole COVID 19, we spoke a lot, and and uh, you had uh, you did a great job with your you know your, your e blasts, um, kind of giving everybody an update of what was going on. Um, I know you took uh, both you and Ali, um, senior. You guys both took a lot of your personal time. To, to, to get a hold of the governor's office, to say, hey, we need to be essential businesses. We need to be open for business. So I really appreciate that, you know, um, you care about your customers and and you care that we all stay in business and that you're out there doing whatever you can to, to make a difference. Um, I, I do appreciate that you're, um, you know, you're not just out there providing a compliance solution. You're also out there trying to help help the industry. And uh, I know you guys have been big supporters of iadac our state association, and and for those of the, those people that are out there listening to this, if you're not part of IADAC, please join. It's our independent auto dealers association. It's super cheap to join, a couple hundred bucks. You get a couple thousand dollars in free buy bids from the auction just for joining um, every year. So it more than pays for the for, for the dues. And um, IADAC is is really the only organization out here for independence that is out lobbying uh, up at, at the state to make sure that stuff like AB2501 uh, is her, you know, so that they know that, hey, we're against it. And when we, we team up with the new car dealer association in California and other, uh, other, other industries that make it happen, but it's, you know, it's, it needs support. And the only way that it, it generates incomes is from, uh, you know, the dealers being members and the, the more members that association has, IADEC has, the stronger we are. It's, you know, if you walk in saying, Hey, I have two members. Well, they don't, they don't, you know, they just throw it to the side. But if you walk in and you say, yeah, hey, I represent 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 dealers. It makes, a, it makes a big difference. So, um, you know, I highly recommend that you please join IADAC if you haven't. And Ali, I appreciate that you guys have been big supporters of the organization. I'm a past president. Um, that's why, you know, I push it so hard. But I, 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 I've been up to state. I, I've seen the things that IADAC does. Um, and and they are part of the National Association as well, too. So there, there's, there's a lot of power there. Um, a lot of good stuff that can happen, but it can't happen if we don't have members.
0: And I know you're also part of the national association too. I remember I, I called you one time. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember how long. Time just time doesn't mean anything anymore. It's it yeah. seems like. But I think it was months ago. I called you um, and you picked up. You said, "Hey, I, I'm I'm walking out of the Capitol building right now." And I said, "Oh, that's that's uh, you know that's really cool." Yeah, so the, the, I national,
1: know part- the national does a great thing every year. They they go to Washington and they they uh, walk the halls. And, uh, you know, we we, go, we, uh, we show up with an agenda of some of the federal items, you know, things on a federal level that are going to hurt dealers. And we just go in and, and reach out to our, um, you know, you re- go in a team and you reach out to your local uh, representatives. And I've really enjoyed doing that. And I do sit on one of their boards on their services boards right now for the National Association. But again, the National, uh, the State Association, both great. When you join Iadac, you automatically get a, a, become a member of the National as well, too. So you don't have to pay any extra. So you're actually becoming a member of both organizations for one low price.
0: (laughs) Thanks Gus. It's been really fun. I was really looking forward to this for a few days and, and I'm glad we got to do this.